Welcome to Beyond Bite Wings, the business side of dentistry, brought to you by Edwards & Associates PC. Join us as we discuss how to build your dental practice, optimize your income, and plan for your future. This podcast is distributed with the understanding that Edwards & Associates PC is not rendering legal, accounting, or professional advice. Listeners should consult with their business advisors before acting on any of the information that is shared. At Edwards & Associates PC, our business is the business of dentistry. For help or more information, visit our website at enassociates.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of Beyond Bite Wings. In today's episode, we will be talking about when to bring in an associate and what are some of the things to consider when you're thinking about employing an associate. And within the studio today, we have Robert. Good afternoon. And Sharon Tiger, our guest speaker. Now, she is a prominent dental practice management consultant nationally, and she's going to share some of her viewpoints regarding the subject matter. So, Sharon, how are you doing today? Good. Thanks for having me. I think this is a great topic, uh, especially since I work with a lot of practice transitions. Mm -hmm. So I work with a lot of doctors who are trying to bring on an associate because they're so busy and they have enough new patients that they can utilize an associate and help the practice grow more. Of course, the first step is to see, did you really need an associate? And how do you determine that? You said something there, you know, that their practice is growing to the point where they need an associate. How do they know when they need an associate? Well, uh, the first thing they would need to consider is, do they have enough new patients to support the established doctor and an associate? Is there a number that you would put on that? It just, it really, really depends. If uh, the doctor has, if the doctor has, can't, had, doesn't have enough room in his schedule to see any of the new patients, that is, the schedule is so heavily booked that he can't even get new patients in to see him, that would be a consideration. And that's going to be different with each doctor. Some doctors see new patients through their schedule. Some doctors see new patients through hygiene. Mm. So it's important to look at, are we getting our new patients in within the week? Because if we can't get them in within a week, then they're going to call someone else. So if we can't get the patients in within a week, even with a hygienist, a new patient, then it's that we need some help. Either we need another hygienist And at that point, sometimes the doctor will need another doctor to see all those hygienists. For example, let's say he's working with two hygienists. I have a doctor right now who's working with three hygienists by himself. And to get any more new patients in, we're going to have to have a fourth hygienist. And that will be very hard for him to do, check four hygienists and see his operative patients. Yeah, how can he do any operative work if he's just doing hygiene checks right, all day? Right, yeah. so it's very difficult. Some doctors can do three and manage, but it's it's tight. Mm. So if they see new patients through hygiene, they would need another hygienist, and they would also need a doctor. And I'm assuming if they need another hygienist that there's enough production there to support another doctor. Also, it would have to be at the point that the established doctor is making enough income to to support overhead and to support his or her bills Mm. 
be able to fund their retirement, which I know I think you've talked about on the show before. Mm-hmm. So it's not another burden, although they're going to make money by paying the associate a percentage of production, they're going to make money from the associate. They still have to see the timing. And they know they know when it's starting to get overwhelming, they're not able to see new patients. And it's kind of of a different level for each doctor, isn't it? Some right. people get overwhelmed. I know I've had calls from clients that get overwhelmed when they were doing 50000 a month. And on the other hand, we've got clients that do, what, 150000 a month. Right. So it's different for each doctor. It is different for each doctor. And we also have to know, you know I'm hoping they're working with CPAs and planners like Dental-specific CPAs. Dental-specific CPAs <laughs> and planners that could guide them. No, this isn't a time to bring an associate. That the, the practice is unprofitable enough to do that. So I don't think it's a decision they can make by themselves. I think they have to use their dental CPA to really help guide them that this is the time. They may say, I'm overwhelmed, and we may need to look at why are they overwhelmed. Maybe it's not time for an associate. But when it is time for an associate, the things to consider is where defining the associate in itself is mm. how, a long, how long does that normally take? I mean, is that like, you know, you can go to one website and overnight hire someone within a week or does it take months or what? No, it could take months and it could take years wow. to, to find an associate. What have you found with your clients? Lately, it's been more difficult for them to find an associate to come in, although I'm not sure I really understand that. I think a lot of the associates that are in corporate dentistry would like to get out of it. But the money is so good sometimes they can't, you know, leave there and go into private practice because of the amount they're being paid. Right. But it's a better quality of life, I think, if they look for a private practice to associate in. And But it is really tempting to stay with corporate dentistry. Because they're not going to make that much money at first. When they're a business owner. Well, when, when, well, when they're an associate. They, oh, won't, they won't make as much money as corporate is paying them. I see. But they can, eventually. But I think their style of life and the number of patients they have to see and the stress would be a whole lot less joining a private practice. I think another thing they need to consider, is this the right person for my practice? And what I highly recommend is that they do a um, personality test Mm -hmm. that actually looks at something similar to, what is the test that you all use? Uh, Culture index. And and what what does culture index look at? Culture index is really, they don't call it a personality test. They call it a, 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 a character trait survey and, and and it really helps you match and, and i think you said they need to take a personality test but i think really tell me if i'm wrong but i think the owner doctor needs to take that test as well as the Absolutely. associate because they what you want to see is if they're compatible right yeah and that and that culture index is fantastic for doctors to to take that test have the associate take that test. And even though we might think the associate is the most perfect match in the world after speaking to them, that test will point out what's not going to work or where you don't match or where you do match or if it's even a match. And it'll tell you how you match. In other words, if you know what the survey is of the other person, then you know how to approach that person on several you know, issues, Excellent. how to resolve Excellent. issues with them, so, and, and vice versa. And I think that's a key step that um, is left out. 
Like, I think that's the most important step in bringing on an associate is that even if you're desperate (laughs) and you say, wait a minute, this is the only associate I've had come to my practice in a year, we need to look to see if it's going to work. And the culture index is fantastic in letting you know what to expect and then you can decide. Okay, I understand they're telling me about these traits, that I, but I'm going to do it anyway. What I find is when people do it anyway, it doesn't always work. So I think that culture index is a really important step. Besides that, knowing how to coach your associate. So having regular weekly meetings with him or her, which is something doctors don't like to take the time to do, but they have to really meet with them once a week, make sure their philosophies are the same, make sure they diagnose the same way, and if it's a young associate, coach them on how you diagnose. And I always like the associate to at least every time he's free or she's free to go listen to the doctor, to go listen to the other established doctor and how he or she is diagnosing and hygiene and how he or she speaks to patients. So really just observing. Really just, I mean, every time the associate has a moment, rather than going back and reading a magazine in an, in their office. Or playing which, a video games. playing video yeah. games, which is a very <laughs> common thing. Yep. I make sure they never go to their office and that every time they have a break, except for lunch in the bathroom, <laughs> I want them to be observing the doctor. And not that he or she has to be like that doctor, but they have to know the style of the practice. I see. Maybe the established doctor is not aggressive with treatment. And to bring in an aggressive person right away would not be a match for the patients. I see. I'm not saying it can't eventually work to have someone who's a little more aggressive than the other doctor, but I feel like in the beginning, we would like their styles to match. Well, I think you kind of need the styles to match so that you don't really offend some of the patients right because if you've got the established doctor that's been there for 10 15 years and you bring in someone way more aggressive you can actually run patients off right Right. correct okay and also those weekly meetings are very very important like i said to not skip those something else that's important is to see what their dentistry looks like make sure that you put them with your most experienced assistant so normally my established doctors like to keep their most experienced assistant. Yeah, most experienced assistant. I want the most experienced assistant to be with my new associate so that she can coach him. She can coach him and help hand him the instruments quicker and actually guide him or her on how to get things done in a more timely manner and also give feedback to the established doctor on you really need to talk to him about the way he's doing his crowns or the way he's prepping the tooth. Or you need to talk to him about this because that's not what he's doing. Normally, the established doctor wouldn't get to see it unless he saw the hygiene patient after the associate doctor did a crown. So it's important that he has that ear of that experienced associate. And I have a doctor right now that's spending weekly going over how to do a crown, what are the steps that you take, what do you need to be careful of, how to do something as simple as a composite, but to do it the way that the established doctor knows is the best way to get it done. And all we have is what they learned in school, 
or what they learned at another practice they were at for a year or two. But that doctor really has to see how they're doing their treatment and that it, and that he should be a mentor. He should be a mentor really going over with him how to do the crown, how to do the composite in a way that I know you know how to do this, but let me show you, point you out some things that I've noticed that I do that I'd like to show you how to do. And a lot of established doctors don't like to do that because they feel like they're uh, telling them something they should already know and it's possibly condescending. Mm. But not if it's done in a good way, not if it's done in a good, light, professional way. And letting them know up front before they even get hired on that you're going to do that. And these are doctors. When you talk about an associate, I think of somebody that's probably been out of dental school a couple of years. But some associates, you know, have been out eight years or so. And so I guess you have to coach them differently depending on their degree of experience. Yes. So, and I feel like sometimes that's tougher when they've been out for eight, when they've been working somewhere else for eight or nine years and they've developed their own habits. Not all good. Not all good. Some good and some not good. But see, one of those things is that conversation would have to be have up front before we sign any contracts or anything. Are you going to be okay with me coaching you if there's some of the treatment that you're doing? that I'd like to see you do differently. Is that going to be okay with you? So you suggest that the doctors sit down and have that kind of heart-to-heart meeting before they go to the contract phase and sign that and and actually bring them in. Absolutely. And is that something that they do on their own, or is that something a person like you needs to facilitate? Or I, I don't see that happening much. Right. Unless there's a facilitator. Often I facilitate that with all my practices. Um, or... I know, Robert, you do that with some of your clients. But I think it's good to have a consultant coach you on how to coach your associate. And the other thing you mentioned is I know how much doctors really love to have those meetings every yeah. week. Is it necessary for they, they really to get together weekly? Or can this be done once a month to coach your associate? Well, I think it needs to be done weekly at least for the first six months. Okay. After the first six months, you can decide if you want to go to bi-weekly. And it's just a good way to stay in relationship, whether you go out to lunch. It's a good way to stay hooked so that you have the type of relationship or bond that they feel comfortable with you telling them the uncomfortable things. So if you're only meeting with them once a month, I feel like that bond isn't there. And I'm not saying you have to do that forever, but you have got to create that bond. So it really comes down to a matter of your favorite topic, communications. Right, right. But I I once again want to stress the hard conversations you have to have before you sign the contract. Mm. Like how many days, how many vacation days is he he going to be okay, he or she going to be okay with? Um, Are they going to be okay with you coaching them on their treatment? When, and how many days of the week are they going to be practicing or expected right. to show up? Um, right. And, and I guess how many hours a day? Right. And how, what you expect with their relationships with the team, how you don't expect them to become their friends, even though they might be closer to their age, the team member's age, they're not their friends. And often associates make that error of hanging out at the front desk or, rather than observing the doctor. Because they want 
what the front desk to well, they, assign no, they, them the treatment no, I or I really, they just want to be liked they want to be liked okay. by them. they want to be liked by the team they want to hang out with them they want to go out and have drinks with them mm. and that's just not appropriate unless the associate do- the, the the established doctor is coming along so i f- i feel like a lot of important conversations need to be had before that contract is signed and often I know that contracts have been signed and I've said to my doctor, did we have this conversation? Did we have this conversation? No, I'm going to have that with him now. Well, that's tough. And you still can have it, of course, like any of you out there who already have signed contracts, you can still have these conversations with them, but you have to coach them. You have to coach them on their dentistry. You have to coach them in their language skills with patients. Let me ask you this question. I put together a lot of associate contracts for our clients. Is there something that I should be putting in the contract that that requires weekly or biweekly mentor meetings with the owner doctor? I think that'd be wonderful. Mm. I think it'd be wonderful also put in, well, I don't know if you're going to put this in the contract, but that they take that. I forgot the uh, culture index. Oh, culture index. But I guess they would do that before they sign Yeah, we usually try to, if I'm aware of it, we try to get them to take those tests before we even go to the contract. Right, but a lot of those things would be good to be in the contract, that the doctor can coach them on treatment, that the doctor can coach them on uh, treatment that they think they know how to do, but show them some other ways. Well, it would certainly uh, let everybody know what each other's expectations are. Right. Right, I'm working with a practice right now where they already signed the contract, but this associate, he's very open. He's very open to changing the way he's doing things, learning a new way. The associate or the owner? The associate is very open to the owner telling him this. Wow, that's weird. And that's really nice, but that's not always how it is. Yeah. Because, but the key is having that experienced assistant who the established doctor has worked with for a long time. That's interesting because I wouldn't have thought of that because, again, I would naturally expect the owner doctor to keep that most experienced assistant with him. And that's what you usually see. You you usually see is, okay, well, I'll hire just a young assistant now for my associate, but I don't know how that's going to give the established doctor any information. I don't know how that's going to help my associate with their speed or, I mean, those assistants are like, those long-term assistants are brilliant. They can almost do the dentistry. So they know when things are off, and they know that maybe it's not appropriate for them to have the conversation, but they should go tell the established doctor so he can have the conversation. Mm. And this particular office I'm thinking about, the established doctor actually told the associate, so I'm putting you with my most experienced assistant so that she can give you feedback and that she can give me feedback on how it's going. So she's here to help you. So she might every now and then point things out, and that's okay, because that's why I gave you my most experienced assistant to support you in your growth. So I think that's very important, and I feel like the established doctor can really, should at this point, be able to work with any type of assistant, even a young assistant. Right. Now, what if the scenario was reversed, where, let's say, the owner doctor was only open for a couple of years, but is now interviewing an associate doctor that's been practicing for, let's say, eight years. So the associate has more experience than the owner. Maybe. Maybe. Interesting. We don't know if they do. I have never run into that. Okay. But I know it it does happen. I think it could be awkward 
toward the established doctor who's only been out for two years. And I can also see the benefits of the eight-year doctor bringing things to the table that would really help the younger doctor. I could see both ways. Well, on the other end of the spectrum, I guess, you know, thinking about this, I've seen doctors that have sold their practice. They're at the end of their career. Right. And they want to go practice somewhere a couple days a week or three days a week somewhere. And so, yeah, then they go and work for a younger doctor. So then how do you handle that? I feel like. Because you've got to, in a lot of cases, they haven't kept up their, their skills and, you know, and they're, they're really doing things the way they were done 20 years ago. And, and the younger doctor that's now the owner, he's going to try to get them to update their skills and speed i don't know if he's going to try to do that, that I, don't possible? Know. I, I don't know I'm, <laughs> i mean that, that's another one of those upfront conversations he would have to sit down with him or she and have that upfront conversation of i know you've been out there eight years we have some new things in our practice that maybe you have not been exposed to we have a crac machine I'm, i you know i would or in some cases, we have electronic records now right. and not paper. <laughs> right. So <laughs> There's still some of those out there. I feel like that doctor, the three-day-a-week retired doctor who sold his practice, would have to be willing. So that's, I feel like, another one of those conversations that people are not willing to have that I feel like if they don't, it gets them in a bind afterwards. It could still get him in a bind. He could say he'll agree to all that and then not do it. But then we have a contract where we can, either party can break the contract in 60 days, mm. right? I'm assuming. Uh, usually 60 or 90, sometimes 30, but yeah, there's a, a period. And But I do think the benefit to having the initial conversation, at least is at least you did gave it your best shot. I and I would like that initial conversation with that type of situation you described, Ash, mm-hmm. to be put in the contract. And if it's in the contract, again, then everybody knows what each other's expectations are, right. and they can always refer back to that. I think if it's in writing, then you can always refer back to it, and and it's more likely to happen. I feel like all these expectations should, and they, you, you should really start putting those in the contracts. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And even having those conversations with your doctors at your firm, you know, like, so what are your expectations? Are you going to do this? Are you going to have a conversation with him? Because I want to put that all in the contract. So when we look back, we know this is what we agreed to. I see. I think that'd be of great value. You know, on the other side of the coin, if we're representing some of these young associates and I'm reviewing their first contract and I don't know the owner that's bringing them in. And if I insist on sticking a paragraph in there that says you're going to mentor me at least once a week, how do you think the owners would, would respond to that? Favorably or unfavorably? No, I, I really. I, that's unusual. To, yeah, that would be. I, I, I think I would, I'm going to try that. Yeah, you know, I can think of maybe two clients that I have that will actually appreciate that and will say yes, absolutely. I mean, but the so, other ones, right. I'm not too sure. Well, I think there's real value to tell them how important it is to be mentored. Right. And but it just depends how open the associate is going to be to this. Well, the reason I bring that up is because we always offer, uh, you know, a free contract review for the the associates that come to us once they're getting out of their dental school, and we do that for free. And so, if they're interested in having that done, how do they get in touch with us, Ash? Oh, of course, yes. So you can definitely send us an email or all your queries to 
info at eandassociates.com. And that's and spelled out A-N-D. And we want to thank Dr. Sharon Tiger for being here today and uh, giving us this great information. Is there anything you'd like to add before we go? Well, if they want to contact me about any questions or concerns, they can always email me. And at what's your email address? TXTiger, T-I-G-E-R, like an animal, the number two at gmail.com. And Super. I'd be happy to answer those questions. Um, I just think it's so important to get those initial expectations settled. That would be my right big summary at the end here. All right. Outstanding. Thanks for being here today. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Thank you again. Thanks for listening today. Be sure to subscribe to Beyond Bite Wings on your favorite podcast platform. For more info, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, or reach out to us on our website. You can also shoot us an email at info at eandassociates.com.